Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember everything I just said, family, what do we have? Three powerful, profound core values that shape FCBC. They are what? Live, love, serve. Amen. Before I get started, FCBC, I, I just have to share that during this season, uh, I've been reading a lot, but in scripture, I've really been moved by the gospel of Mark. It is out of that gospel that uh, we found the passage of scripture for I am a storm stiller. But not only that, it has been a gospel that has really impacted me during the season. Mark is the first gospel written, but also the shortest gospel. Mark gets right to the point and kind of illuminates the narrative surrounding not only Jesus, but the Jesus movement. And so today I want to look at the gospel of Mark in two passages of scripture, Mark 6 and Mark 8. In Mark 6, I want to read verses 38 through 44. And in Mark 8, I want to read verses 1 through 10. And I'm reading them from the New Revised Standard Version as well. Mark 6, beginning at verse 38. Here's how it reads. And he said to them, how many loaves have you? Go and see. When they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he ordered them to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the, the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all and all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. Those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000. Mark 8, 1 through 10, reads this way. In those days, there was again a great crowd without anything to eat. He called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come a great distance. His disciples replied, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves. And after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they distributed them to the crowd. They had also a few small fish. And after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled and took up the broken pieces, leftover, seven baskets full. 
Now there were about 4,000 people and he sent them away and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you today and we honor you today, oh God, for this glorious day that you've given us. Today, oh God, is truly a day that you have made. It is a gift. It is a sign of grace. It is an overture of love. And God, we say thank you. We pray, oh God, that as we listen today, we hear your revealed word, words that impact, words that empower, words that transform. And as always, God, we lift up those today who today is a difficult day, a day filled with sadness or grief or mourning. God, we lift them up to you today. All of those, oh God, in this season who are struggling and in particular, oh God, on today are having a hard time. Remind them, oh God, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And God, we thank you for being with us in this season. Now, oh God, let the words that you declare on today and the collective meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our strength and you are our redeemer. And we say thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Allow me to read just that passage in Mark 8 again in your hearing. In those days, there was again a great crowd without anything to eat. He called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground and he took the seven loaves and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute and they distributed them to the crowd. They had also a few small fish and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Now there were about 4,000 people and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanatha. I want today to, to speak from a subject that falls in line with many of our series and many of our sermons rather in this season. If you've been following, we have been really speaking affirmations in these sermons. I am a warrior. I am a storm stiller. I am a love revolutionary. Last Sunday with Pastor Lakeisha, I am a life giver. Today, for just a little while, I want to share from this idea. I am a bridge builder. I am a bridge builder. The Gospel of Mark records these two scenes of God working through Jesus to do what was viewed as profound miracles. In both scenes, Mark 6 and Mark 8, in both scenes, it says that when people looked upon the people, when, rather when Jesus looked upon the people who had been listening to him teach, in Mark 6, the crowds had gathered in upon him, in Mark Eight, the crowds had gathered again and Jesus was moved by compassion. He wanted to feed them. 
He asked the disciples in both cases that we ought to feed these people with what is provided. Mark 6 says there were five loaves and two fish. Mark 8 says there were seven loaves and a few pieces of fish. In both cases, Jesus blessed, he broke, and he distributed. Mark 6 says that 5,000 people were fed and it says 5,000 men, which means that number was much larger if you include women and children. And the same thing in Mark 8, 4,000 there were fed plus women and children. Two scenes that seem in some ways repetitive. In fact, there are some who would say that Mark 8 is simply a retelling of the scene from Mark 6. But when you read deeper, look a little closer. Something else is going on that I think is worth highlighting and lifting up today. You see, Mark's gospel is an interesting gospel, not just because it is the shortest gospel. It is also one of the most nuanced gospels. It is deep beyond the imagination. But Mark 5 does something very interesting. Let me share just a few things with you. In Mark, in Mark, in the gospel of Mark, you begin to see what is considered the kind of itinerant nature of Jesus's ministry. The gospel of Mark has Jesus moving. When you get to Mark 5, for example, Jesus leaves his home region of, of Nazareth, and then he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. In between leaving and arriving in the Gadarenes, he encounters a storm, but he leaves his territory, goes to the other side of the sea, and there he encounters a man in Gadira who has a legion of demons. After Jesus heals the man with a legion of demons, the record says that he then leaves Gadira and then goes back over to his hometown. It is there that Jesus begins to do the work in ministry again. This time when he returns to his hometown, he encounters a man by the name of Jarius, who is a ruler, a leader, in the synagogue and the scripture says he comes to Jesus because his daughter is ill. And if you know that narrative, you know that while Jesus and Jairus on the way to Jairus' house to heal his daughter, that there's a woman who he meets who reaches out and touches him. It's the woman with an issue of blood. And so in that scene, on the way to Jairus' house to heal the daughter, a woman who has the courage and audacity to reach out for her healing is healed, made whole again. After Jesus leaves the encounter with the woman, he goes to the leader of the synagogue's house and he clears the house out. And he then says to Jairus' daughter, Talitha Kume, which means little girl, rise. He heals Jairus' daughter. And then he goes back to his region in Nazareth and there he experiences rejection again. When you have a chance, go and read the Gospels, or rather the Gospel of Mark, because this is quite intriguing. So follow me. He left Nazareth, went with the disciples across the sea to Gadira. He heals the man with the legion of demons. Then he crosses back over to the region of his hometown, Nazareth. He experiences rejection, but he also experiences another move of the power of God. Jairus' daughter is healed. The woman with an issue of blood is healed. And then after that, it says that he sends his disciples out, 12 of them, two by two, to go and continue this work that he has begun, healing and teaching and preaching. 
And when he sends his 12 out two by two, he tells them, take nothing for your journey. Take no script, take nothing. Where you are welcomed, receive it with gratitude and grace. Where you are not welcome, leave that place and shake them like dust off of your feet. After that, Jesus then leaves Nazareth again. He then crosses back over into the Sea of Galilee, back into another region. And there he encounters a Syrophoenician woman, a woman whose daughter has a demon. And they have this interesting encounter where Jesus almost tauntingly says, basically, what I have for the lost children of Israel. And she says to Jesus, well, even the dogs take the crumbs that fall underneath the table. Jesus just told her what I have is the food for the people of Israel. And then she says, even the dogs linger around to get the crumbs that fall under the table. Jesus says to her, your faith, your belief has already healed your daughter. And the scripture says that when the woman went back home, her daughter who had a demon was now lying in bed and the demon was gone. From there, it says he then encounters a man who is deaf. And Jesus, when he sees the man, or rather the people bring the man to Jesus to heal, Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ear. He spits on his hand. He touches the man's tongue. And then he says, Afatha, be open. And then immediately the man can hear. He can hear again and he can speak. And then you come to the scene where Jesus feeds the 4,000. It seems very straightforward when you think about it. Jesus fed 5,000 and then he fed 4,000, two separate groups, powerful scene, and in between a ton of teaching and other miracles. The woman with an issue of blood, Jairus's daughter, the Syrophoenician woman, the man who was deaf. I mean, a host of works that demonstrate and make manifest the power of God. Again, when you look at these scenes, harmless. But now I want to push it a little deeper so you can see the profound nature of these scenes. Now, I already said that in the beginning of Mark's gospel, when you get to chapter five, Jesus moves from his hometown. He travels from Nazareth. He gets on the boat with his disciples. They go across the sea. Now, here's what you have to know to make this scene become even more profound is that Jesus does work in his hometown, which is west of the Sea of Galilee, west of the Jordan River, west of the Dead Sea. Much of Jesus's work is in this region, west of the Dead Sea, west of the Jordan River, west of the Sea of Galilee are towns like Capernaum, Nazareth, Jerusalem. That is the heart of Jesus's work in the Judean Valley. That is where you see much of Jesus's ministry. That is the region where Jesus is from. But in Mark's gospel, On more than one occasion, he leaves the region of familiarity, of comfort, home. He crosses and goes to the other side, east of the Sea of Galilee, east of the Jordan River, east of the Dead Sea. And that region is known as the Decapolis, 10 cities. And those 10 cities are considered the eastern front of the Roman Empire, where their culture is dominated by Hellenistic ways. In other words, that is Greek culture. It is the the eastern front of the Roman Empire, the same empire that is also oppressing Jesus's people, the same empire that has occupied the territory west 
of the Sea of Galilee, west of the Jordan River, west of the Dead Sea, where Jesus' people reigned. I want you to hear this. Jesus is from west of the Jordan, west of the Sea of Galilee, west of the Dead Sea. And yet Mark in Mark's gospel has Jesus doing ministry, not only in his region, but he crosses over and goes to the Decapolis with cities like Philadelphia and Caesarea Philippi and Damascus and Gadira. And there Jesus makes Jesus's power manifest. You see, it's so subtle that you might miss it if you're not careful. I want to recap this again. Jesus does ministry in his home territory. He feeds 5,000 in Nazareth. And then he goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, the other side of the Jordan River, and there feeds 4,000. Now, the same power made manifest through him, two similar miracle stories, but here's the difference. Those on the west part of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, were Jewish. But on the eastern side of the sea, of the river, were heavily populated with people who were Greek, part of the Roman Empire. If you look at Mark's gospel, it says the first time that Jesus, or rather the second time Jesus crosses and goes to the Greco-Roman territory, that Tons of people see him at Gennesaret and they recognize who he is and tons of people come and they bring people who are sick and possessed by demons who are in need of healing. And they cry out to Jesus saying, if we could just touch your garment, we'll be healed. And it says there in Mark's gospel that many touched him and were healed. And who were these people? These were people who lived in Roman occupied territory. But go deeper. These are people for the most part who are Greek who are Roman, who recognize him, beseech his power. And what does he do? His power is made manifest among them. Oh, you have to see this scene. That Jesus' work, Jesus' ministry, Jesus' power, the power of God at work in him is operating on both sides of the Galilee, on both sides of the Jordan, on both sides of the Dead Sea. His power that God is making made manifest through him is not relegated to one region, one territory, one people. But when Jesus crosses over, that crossing over is a transcendent move. When Jesus crosses over, crosses the Sea of Galilee and crosses the Jordan River, what he is doing is demonstrating the transcendent power of God, not parochial, not relegated to one group of people or one sect of people, but those who encounter him, no matter what their background, no matter what their religion, no matter what their ethnicity, all experience the power of God. You see, at first glance, it seems like Jesus is just doing what Jesus does, feeding the multitude, 5,000 plus women and children on this occasion, 4,000 plus women and children on this occasion, but something deeper is happening. Jesus and the ministry that he's called to is actually building bridges. Jesus is connecting a Jewish world with a Greek world. And both sides of the sea, both sides of the river still feel the presence and power of God. Jesus does not say that his power, his work, his ministry is relegated to just his people. Jesus, again, does not engage in parochial limitations. 
but he expands the possibilities, not just for his people, but those who in some ways represent who may even be the enemies of his people. That is why when Jesus heals the man who is deaf on the east side of the sea and the river, when he sees him, he says, Ephatha, which means be open, but notice. The writer of Mark makes a point of saying Ephatha because it's Greek. Somehow this unlearned carpenter from the slums of Nazareth knows enough Greek to speak to a Greek man and let him know your ears are now open, Ephatha. Then back in his territory of Nazareth, when he went to Jairus' house, you know the story. When he sits there, Jairus is a leader of the synagogue, which means Jairus not only knows the scrolls, but more than likely, G Jairus speaks Hebrew. Jesus' main language is Aramaic. This is why when you look in Luke 4 and he reads the scrolls in Luke 4, people are amazed. How did the carpenter's son learn how to read? How did the carpenter's son learn how to read Hebrew? And there in the religious leader's house in Gospel of Mark, Jairus' house, Jesus says Talitha Kume, which is a Greek phrase, or rather a Hebrew phrase. I need you to capture this, brothers and sisters. When at Jairus' house, he spoke Hebrew. When he crossed the sea and healed the man who was deaf, he said, be open in Greek. In other words, Jesus was bridging the divide that separated those on the Jewish side of the lake and those on the Greek side of the lake. Jesus was a bridge builder. He did not use his power to further the division. He did not use his power and restrict it just to those who looked like him, were like him, were where he was from. He used the power in spaces and he was moved by compassion and need. On the west side in Jewish territory, when he fed the 5,000, moved by compassion. On the east side in Greco-Roman territory, moved by compassion. His compassion and his love and the need of the people is what caused him to minister to them. Oh, I hope you can capture this Jesus epitomized, demonstrated what it meant to not be marked by division or seeking to other another human being. He was a bridge builder. And for you and I, you and I, who seek to follow in the footsteps of the carpenter. The real question is, are you a bridge builder? Maybe now, beloved, more than ever, our world needs bridge builders. We live in a wounded and fractured world. We live in a wounded and fractured country where right now, in the midst of a pandemic, there are people who are using mean-spirited, toxic words to deepen the division that exists. We know the history in this country. We know the division that abounds. But you and I, who have been shaped by the carpenter's teachings, yes, we are warriors, and yes, we are storm stillers, and yes, we are love revolutionaries. But maybe now, in addition to all of that, we, you, and I need to be bridge builders who will be the ones who stand in the midst of the divide, the chasm, the gap that abounds between so many of us who will seek to mend those broken spaces, 
who will seek to bring healing to the places where division abounds. Maybe you and I in this season as disciples of the carpenter can follow him on both sides of the lake and seek to bring healing and wholeness to all those who are wounded and damaged. You and I who are disciples of the carpenter are called in this season to not allow the divisions that abound, the racial divisions, the socioeconomic divisions, the class divisions, the religious divisions. Maybe we are called in this season to not let ourselves be known by what we do not have in common, but to allow ourselves to be marked by what we do have in common. And that is our common humanity. Are you a bridge builder today? Because of the world needs love revolutionaries, I got to tell you. The world also needs people who, ignited by love, become bridge builders who can close the gap, who can mend the breach. I know it is so attractive in this season for some who want to talk about building walls, building walls between those who are citizens and immigrants, building walls between those who are black and white, building walls between those who are rich and poor, building walls who, between those who are more likely to be infected and pass away from the virus and those who are not, who do not have predisposed conditions. Yes, the temptation is great, but right now, the world doesn't need people who wanna build walls. The world needs people who want to build bridges connecting us where we are wounded, connecting us where we are damaged, connecting us where we are broken, and helping us see that we are all experiencing the same moment together. Whether you are here in Europe, Latin America, Asia, no matter where you are, we are all facing the same crisis together. And if we're facing it together, why not face it as humans together and not let our labels divide us and our labels break us? Yes. If you are a disciple of the carpenter, yes, you are called to speak truth to power. If you are a disciple of the carpenter, yes, you are called to speak about injustice and name it and declare it and describe it in all of its evil manifestations, all of those things that reinforce the agony and the pain felt by so many people in this country and the world. Yes, if you are in this country and you are living with this country marked by racism and classism and sexism, you have to speak the truth. You have to name it. But what's the therefore? What's in Greek the telos? What's the purpose for me? It's to be a bridge builder. It's to mend those spaces so that we can be stronger in the broken places. I am a bridge builder. We are called to be bridge builders. Where there are those who are hungry, we feed. When there are those who are thirsty, we quench the thirst. When there are those in prison and in hospital, we visit. When there are strangers among us, we welcome them. We are the bridge builders of this world. You and I, I am a bridge builder. I am not motivated by toxic language that dehumanizes another person. I am galvanized by the underlying ethos of love that binds us together. I know there are some 
who won't be moved by this kind of message. There are those who, whether through social media or on blogs or on TV, will always be creative when it comes to being toxic. But there has to be a remnant of people who believe in the transcendent, transformative, impacting power of love to heal all of us. We need bridge builders, brothers and sisters. We need bridge builders in America. We need bridge builders in Europe. We need bridge builders in Asia. We need bridge builders in Canada. The world needs bridge builders so that we can then demonstrate the potential and the possibility to live in a place where we are not defined by what is different, but galvanized by what we have in common. Know this, a quote I shared this week from Maya Angelou, we all may be changed by what happens to us, but we do not have to be reduced by it. Don't let the division that abounds around us reduce us to division. Rise above that. Rise above the insanity that bombards us daily, that wants to keep us twisted and torn and walk in the path of the carpenter who does work on both sides of the lake. Why? Because when you're moved by compassion, you don't ask, what color are you? What religion are you? What's your class or status? You see a human being and you make it your business to build a bridge. I am a bridge builder. I am a bridge builder. We are bridge builders. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.